0: Luke chapter 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evils thought up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house, who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let us go to God in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for your word read and we pray that this indeed may sink deep into our hearts to become that foundation on which our lives are built. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we looked at love and grace being the way of discipleship. It's always easy to speak about being loving and about having to show grace to people, to love enemies, not to judge by way of condemnation, isn't it? But when we get down to actually doing it, can we? There have been people who have shown that it is not impossible. And if some of us can recall 11 years ago, or maybe a little over 10 years ago in the year 2006, a horrific shooting took place in an Amish community in Pennsylvania. That community was shattered by a shooting in the West Nickel Mine School, which killed 10 of their little girls aged between six to thirteen. The shooter, Charles Robert IV, a milkman, he, was on, he, he went in and he was a familiar figure delivering milk. He went in that day, went into a schoolhouse with his guns, sent the adults out, uh, sent the boys out after a while, locked himself, boarded up the windows, and tied up the little girls, and after that shot them, and then shot himself. He had done it because he could not get over the loss of his prematurely born daughter nine years before that. He had kept it in, kept it in, and it led him into depression, it led him into all sorts of things, until that day he decided that he would take revenge because he had blamed God, he could not forgive God, and he wanted revenge. The Amish community grieved over their loss, for sure. But what did not happen was that they did not begin casting blame. They did not begin to analyse the situation. They did not even call for a press conference, as one journalist noted, with lawyers at their side. In the midst of their grief, what they did do was to reach out to the widow of the shooter, Marie. And the grandfather of one of the little girls expressed forgiveness towards the shooter. The other members of the community expressed the same thing. They invited the Roberts family to attend the funeral of one of the little girls. Uh, And many of their community, including those families which had lost their daughters, their sisters, attended the funeral for Charles Roberts. 10 years on, the Guardian has an article, the Amish people look back and some of them do acknowledge it has not been easy, but because their community has been built in such a way uh, on God's word and to take it seriously, They forgave. But it takes a while for each person's emotion to catch up with such an outward decision, the father of three of the girls in that classroom said. Some of his daughters survived, some did not. But forgive and help the widow this community did. And the widow herself... Eventually, in the year 2013, uh, was willing to speak to CNN in their religion blog. If you go online, you can find an interview with her. And she has written a book out of her experience. She didn't think she had anything to tell. But as she clung on to God, and as people heard her story, at least those around her, and told others, she began to be led to see that there is value in telling her story and especially how God saw her through. And so she was able to move on to remarry and to find wholeness once again. How could the Amish do that? We may ask. You know, the forgiveness and grace shown by this community to the widow and how they carried themselves in that tragedy did not come overnight. They did not, in the face of tragedy, say, oh, we must behave like Jesus and so we forgive. It did not come out of that. Of course, the reasoning is that. But the root of their action comes from carefully tending their lives and hearts in God's ways. The way they carried themselves, the way they reached out, comes out of building diligently on strong foundations that are built on God's word. And these are the two images, fruit and Good and bad, and foundations strong and weak that Jesus gives us in this morning's text. There were two things that Jesus said about fruits. One is that no good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. In other words, a good tree will bear good fruit, and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. That's essentially what Matthew records for us in chapter 7, although uh, the purpose for that in Matthew is a little bit different because he talks about false prophets. But what Jesus is saying here is about his own disciples. And the second thing he said about bearing fruit would be trees will bear fruit according to its kind. And that is how God meant it to be if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11 to 12. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. So you won't expect to find durians on a pineapple plant or a pineapple on an apple tree, even though it has, both have apples in their names. If you went to Google and typed how to grow a good tree in inverted commas, you will come up with millions of sites. People are keen to grow trees, good trees, because we know when a tree is healthy, the fruits will be good and we can enjoy those fruits. And some sites even give step-by-step instructions how to plant good trees and the benefits of planting good trees. You get more oxygen and so on. And Jesus uses this picture of a good tree to show us that the fruit, that our fruit, the action and the words we say, and especially words that come out of us in times of crisis or in the heat of the moment or off the cuff, comes from what we have cultivated and nurtured in our hearts. If we, read, if we did a search on fruits in, in the Bible and we read through, we will find more often than not when the Bible speaks about fruit in the life of people, it most often refers to the qualities found in a person. And so in Galatians... Uh, many of us know this verse. Paul lists the fruit, it's a singular, of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And some of you can list that. So it is one fruit with many qualities in that fruit. And these qualities, they reside in us, but they are demonstrated or they come out in our actions and our speech. These fruits grow by what we take into our minds, what we take into our hearts, for example, our experiences a child that grows up experiencing love and grace and kindness and goodness will in turn learn to show kindness and goodness and love and grace to others. Our hearts and minds are formed by also the things we read, the things we see, the things we hear, the things we do. And all these form us over a period of time. There are patterns that come up in our lives. And some of you may know this saying, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. The kind of things we take in, the things we set our eyes on repeatedly, I'm not saying if you just look at it, but repeatedly if we take in images of violence and gore our thoughts will soon begin to move in that direction and when our thoughts move in that direction it trickles down to our hearts like it or not and you know what happens and the thing is many of those who like serial killers and so on when they are caught and they're questioned it begins with these things what they read And what they take into their minds. For Charles Robert, that shooter in the Nickel Mines, West Nickel Mines School, it was his experience and the way he dealt with his experience, not being able to forgive, hating God, hating people, and that kind of thing, that continued to work in his heart and form him until he got to that point where he snapped and made that decision to shoot the little girls. Will Willimon, a bishop in the United States and chaplain, a former chaplain of Duke University, uh, shares this illustration. Philip Hale, a sociologist from Wesleyan University, wrote of the little village of Le Chambon in France, a town whose people, unlike others in France, hid their Jews from the Nazis. Uh, You know, uh, France, although did not, uh, was not Nazi, but they supported the Nazis, yeah? But this little village was different So Hale went there wondering what sort of courageous ethical heroes could risk all to do such extraordinary good. And so he interviewed people in the village, and all that he saw was ordinariness. And he was overwhelmed by, this is so ordinary. They weren't heroes, they weren't smart, or discerning people. And so as he did that research, Hale decided that the one factor that united them was their attendance Sunday after Sunday at their little church where they heard the sermons of Pastor Trockme. And over time, they became by habit people who just knew what to do and did it. When it came time for them to be courageous, the day the Nazis came to town, they quietly did what was right. One old woman who faked a heart attack when the Nazis came to search her house later said, pastor always taught us that there comes a time in every life When a person is asked to do something for Jesus, when our time came, we knew what to do. So they took in God's word over and over again, and they took God's word seriously. They knew what to do to prevent the Jews from getting killed, their neighbours and friends, because they kept going to church, they kept hearing God's word, they kept taking those words to heart. I think sometimes for us, and I'm saying this to myself too, it is very much in this year and out the other. And for the people in that little village, those words shaped them. So it was natural for them to do the right thing. It was their second nature. They didn't have to think twice about it. And in the same way, the Amish people listened to God's word, took it to heart, and lived it out day by day so that when the crisis came, forgiving the killer and reaching out to the family was the natural thing to do. For them, The question of hating him never arose at all. Even though it was difficult, even though they were heartbroken, even though they grieved, and even though the children had a traumatic time, and they're still getting over it, and yet there was no hate. And that, what, that is why we need to be discerning, to be, we need careful discernment of the things we read, of the things with which we fill our minds. We also need discernment as to how our experiences have shaped and continue to shape us, so that we don't allow things like bitterness and resentment and similar things to build up in our lives like Charles Robert did. And this kind of discernment comes only out of spending time with God in prayer. And so the invitation with us is to take in God's Word day by day, live in His ways day by day, and when the time comes to stand, to do or say something in the name of Jesus, or as that old lady in that little village said, to do something for Jesus, we will be able then to do it naturally. We are thankful that we are able to continue meeting and worshipping publicly. If there should come a day, God forbid, that we can no longer worship in public, would you still come for worship? Would I still stand and preach if there should come that day? In fact, this evening, there is a vigil for Pastor Raymond Koh at Padang Kota Lama, the Speaker's Corner, 6.30pm. Would you come to make a stand as Malaysian citizens? The second image Jesus uses about following him is that of building a house on good, or solid foundation. And he begins this little bit with asking people, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The word Lord means master or ruler. And in the original language, uh, that word that's translated Lord has a whole range of meanings right up until... Uh, God The word Lord is also used for God So when we call Jesus Lord It means he is master over our lives And when we call someone master It means that person has control over our lives too And so when we say No Lord When Jesus calls us to do something like Love your enemies or do not judge It is a contradiction in terms we cannot call Jesus Lord and then turn around and say, no, Lord. But when we do hear Jesus' words and practice what he says, Jesus says we will be able to stand steady like the house that is built on good, solid foundation. Foundations are important. Building needs, buildings need good foundations in order to stand firm and not collapse and that is why when we look at the percentage of time needed to erect a building we will find that a large proportion of the time is spent making sure the foundation is good and rightly done the work on the New Wesley Methodist School, Sungai, Pinang. If you go there, you will find that it's up to level five or six, seven right now. It began in March of last year after the groundbreaking service on March the 2nd. And they took several months just to get the foundation done well, piling, putting in the concrete, and so on. And after that, you will find that the rest of the building can come up very quickly because the foundation is solid. Even for a wall behind the sanctuary, if you go along it, And if you were there when it was started to be constructed, you will find that the workers actually dug deep into the earth, I think about four to six feet, and then filled it with concrete for a good foundation so that the wall will be straight. Because the foundation determines how well the building will stand and stand up to pressure if it comes. The leaning tower of pizza is the way it is because of bad foundation. But it wasn't bad enough for it to topple over, so it stands at an angle. And so in Jesus' time, house building, and even today, mostly takes place in the dry season when the sand becomes hard And houses can be built quickly and easily and conveniently on hard surfaces. But when the rains come during the wet season, the sand starts to become soft with the moisture and starts to shift. When the rains come down harder and flooding occurs, the house will collapse because it is no longer standing on something firm. And so we saw what what can happen to homes in floods two years ago. Um, I think from our church, we didn't actually go all the way into the kampong with the team, but some of us would have seen the photos of how the houses were completely washed away and the people had to go to higher ground The wise builder will take time to dig through the sand and into the ground until he hits the rock layer of the ground, rock bottom. That's why we call it rock bottom. You can't dig anymore. And then he will build on that solid foundation so that when the rains come, the foundation will not go soft and the house can stand steady. I came across the picture as I was looking through pictures. It uh, doesn't look very steady, but it's on a rock. Uh, that picture is taken in Serbia on the Drina River. And it has stood for many years on that rock. Those who hear Jesus' words and put them into practice build on solid foundation. And if we take Jesus' words seriously and do what he says, like a foundation determines the orientation of the building, the foundation of Jesus' words will set the course for our lives. And it will determine how steady our lives will be in the face of difficulties and tough times. John 14, 23, Jesus says, Those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus is the cornerstone, the crucial piece in the whole of the foundation that will make sure whether the house stands or crumbles. You can read that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 to 21. So, the more we practice what Jesus says, for example, love one another as I have loved you, the more you and I will know his presence with us. And as we come to know God's presence more and more, we will also come to have God's peace in our hearts. We will come to be kept steady in the storms of life when they hit. Reading God's Word is one thing. Putting it into practice is quite another thing. So easy to read God's Word. And I'm sure all of us do, yes? It is quite quite another thing to be mindful of it as we go about our daily lives and to live out what the Word preaches. For example, the Bible says, honour your father and mother. What does that mean in practice? Do everything they say? I'm sure you and I know that we don't. And sometimes... Parents can make unreasonable demands, especially as they get older. When my grandma, towards the last several years of her life, she began waking up, her her days were turned upside down. She was awake during the night and in the daytime she would sleep and at night she would demand to have a bath. We were like... Honouring her did not mean giving in, and making sure she had a bath. Honoring parents is an attitude of heart that gives them due respect and love and care. And that means doing what is good for them. And as we practice that, as we honor them with that respect and love in our hearts, we will be able to face the difficult situations that come when our parents need more attention as they age. And we will not end up being shaken or feeling guilty because we did not do enough. Having Jesus as cornerstone is not just for each one of us individually, personally, although that is what needs to happen It is also to have Jesus as the cornerstone for our community of faith. We need to have Jesus as the cornerstone and to learn to obey his word together. Very often when we read of the practices we need to do, we think in terms of ourselves. But in truth, in the Bible, when it talks about that, more often than not, although yes, We pray on our own, we give alms quietly on our own, and we fast, and we make our own decisions. But we also do some of these things together as a community. And so when Jesus says, for example, love your enemies and pray for them, as a community, we need to come together. Pray for those who are hostile to Christians to bless not curse them. And so, my friends, in conclusion, Jesus calls us to love our enemies and not to judge. That was from last week, to be loving and to show grace. And there are a lot of things He calls us to do in and to be in our discipleship. And in order to do that, you and I need to make sure we nurture our hearts, so that what is stored in our hearts are good things, which will bring forth good fruit. And so let me leave you then with this final verse that Paul writes to his friends in Philippi. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Feed your mind on these things, in other words. Keep on doing the things that you have learnt and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Think and do. Go together, because the doing will cement what we have taken in from God's word. May God give us the grace to obey and build strong foundations so that we bear good fruit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.